I first met Bob. I first met Bob. I was uh, I was just beginning seminary. I heard all about him, all of the accolades, all of the students that uh, had sat underneath of him, had learned from him. I was in awe of him, and I hadn't yet met him. And then I remember the first opportunity. Uh, my bride was with me. We went over to the seminary. We were registering for classes. And I got to meet Bob Lowry for the first time. And honestly, I was in somewhat of a shock. Not because of all of his academic uh, credential, uh, not because he may have been the smartest person that I had ever met, um, not because um, he had shaped the lives of so many preachers. Uh, the first time that I met Bob Lowry, it was shocking because Bob was a large marshmallow of a man. I remember that first time just uh, sitting in his presence and, and Jolyn and I both walked away going, that was different than I expected. Over the next several years, I got to sit in classes where, where he was teaching me how to dig into Scripture and look underneath things and, 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 and really find the life in the text. His glowing faith got to help me strengthen and grow and help others strengthen and grow. And then I remember the day that I went to class and I happened to have a Bob Lowry class that semester and I sat down as I normally did in my normal spot and Bob sat down as he sometimes would and he would say, gentlemen, I have something to tell you. He said, I just want you to know that I have cancer. It's in my abdomen, and it's in a place that they can't get at it. It's terminal. But I want you to know, gentlemen, that I'm going to be here as long as I can. And over the next several years, through different medications, Bob would endure painful abdominal spasms just so that he could sit in class with the likes of myself and my colleagues. I remember the last time that I got to embrace him. This large marshmallow of a man had become a bag of bones. And crying, I went and I embraced him. And at this point, I'm sobbing. And Bob looked at me and he goes, it's okay, Michael. It's okay, Michael. Those are the last words he ever spoke to me. A couple months later, he passed away. Here's what I want to tell you. I have a picture of Bob, by the way. This is Bob. One of my mentors, one of the people that uh, shaped me and shaped my faith. It's okay, Michael, he said. Have you ever met that person 
Have you ever recognized that person of impeccable faith that they just have this uncanny ability to be able to see what you can't see and to know what you can't know? Uh, Here he was, a man who was suffering from cancer, and I was sobbing. I should have been comforting him, and yet he was comforting me with words of, it's okay. And somehow he was able to see what he couldn't see and know what he couldn't know. We're still in Hebrews. If you want to, you can turn with me. We're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 most of the day today. Uh, uh, Page 844 in the Pew Bibles in front of you if you're following along. You see, we have come to this point in our series, haven't we? And we have learned tons of things about Jesus. We have learned uh, the greatness of, of who Jesus is. We have learned why it is that we can come near to Him. Uh, We have learned... We have learned the glory of God, and now it is our turn. Now the author of Hebrews is turning the pages, and he is saying, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity to strengthen your journey by demonstrating faith. By showing that you can trust in God. I'm going to turn the page and I'm going to tell you that it doesn't matter what else you have known about who God is and what He has done unless you're willing to take these steps of faith, of trusting in who God is. You want strength for the journey this morning? Then faith has to be a step that you're willing to take. You want to see what you can't see and know what you can't know? Then this is a step for you. Walk through this text with me. I'm going to begin at the very end of chapter 10. And just notice how often these people that are said to have impeccable faith, that are commended for their faith from God, are seeing what they can't see. And they're knowing what they can't possibly know. Begin there at the end of chapter 10. Look in verse 34. He says, you sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Look at the very first verse in chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We know and we see. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, what is visible, was not, made, was not made out of what was visible. In other words, there was invisible and there is visible. And faith is able to see that which is invisible. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Are you tracking a pattern here? That these who were commended by their faith were able to see what they couldn't possibly see and know what they couldn't possibly know. Look at verse 10. Again, about Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive what the things that they had been promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
In verse 14, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. Again, do you, do you grasp this? Uh, like trust, this faith is being able to see something we can't see and know something we can't know. Uh, here's my favorite. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. We're going to talk about Moses for a moment. By faith, Moses' parents, not Moses himself, but Moses' parents, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. They hid him for three months because they saw that he was no ordinary child. Now, I have two children. Some of you have children. How many of you, after your child has been born, don't think that they're no ordinary child? I was talking with JoLynn on the way up this morning, and I said, well, tell me about what a three-month-old can do. And I said, is a three-year-old rolling over? And she says, well, maybe. So what was it that, that, that Moses' parents saw in Moses that he was no ordinary child? I mean, did they have a voice from God? I mean, a little like the Back to the Future clip we saw earlier. I mean, what was, it, uh, was it an audible voice? Did Moses roll over and suddenly had a halo surrounding him and, and his parents went, oh, we better, we better save him. Otherwise, you know, I, I, wonder, I wonder if it was this. I wonder if it was just subtle like this. If Moses, as a three-month-old, Moses, as a three-month-old, kind of looked at his parents and said, Let my passy go. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it struck me that somehow, some way, this child who's, who's merely an infant, uh, somehow there was something in his parents that they could see something they couldn't possibly see. It doesn't even end there. Look at verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of all of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. There's something oriented about our faith that looks to the future. In 27, by faith, talking about Moses, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. This is the nature of our faith, to look toward the future. Now, now, faith, you understand this, trusting in God is about making the invisible practically visible when the circumstances seem uncertain. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it doesn't seem fair, does it? But that the moments that faith becomes most real are those moments opportunities, those moments where things don't seem to be coming together very well. Where we have to look into the future of something that we can't see and trust that God's doing something. It's almost as if uh, we get to that point of faith and it's a 50-50 toss-up as to whether things turn out right or not. There's lots of examples. Let me give you two. Let's talk about our money. Uh, we don't like to talk about money, but, but nothing seems to get at quite our anxiety as much as our finances. 
Uh, we get to the point of our finances and we, we start saying, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And we pray and we begin to say, well, what's going to happen, God? Look at the text for a moment. This, this is crazy. Uh, very end of chapter 10, look at what it says. Verse 34, you sympathize with those who are in prison. Catch these words. And joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Imagine this scene. There's a family. They have teenagers. Everything seems to be going well. They have their home, their white picket fence, and here come the police. Mom, Dad, the police are at the door. Let them on in. They know why they're there. They have, they have gone about supporting those who stand against the government. And here's mom and dad going, you need some tea? Would you like to, would you like to sit down for dinner? As they're, as they're carrying out the computer, as they're carrying out the dining room table, as they're carrying out the beds that they're going to sleep on that night, can you imagine... Can, can you imagine after everything's gone, after they've confiscated their property, uh, there they are uh, sitting on their living room floor. And they begin to gather for whatever supper that they can, they can scrounge up. And they sit down, not on a dining room table. They're just sitting on their floor, cross-legged. Dear God, we're overjoyed at the opportunity that you have allowed us to go through this trial. It says they, they joyfully looked at this. It seems to me that faith is about making invisible what is invisible, practically visible when the outcome is uncertain. They didn't know how things were going to turn out. But they had an opportunity to say, what's going to happen? I don't know. But I'm trusting in the God who knows all things. We have some friends, um, Dave and Tiff, and we're in this small group and we're in this book right now and we're, uh, we're working through it. And this last week we were in this chapter on finance. And as we sat around the table and we were talking about the things that, uh, that challenge us and grow us, uh, this anxiety over money came up. And Dave and Tiff, they, they just said this. They said, nothing shapes and strengthens our faith more than the commitment that we have to give. That when we're stand, sitting around uh, looking at our bills for the month and we're saying, uh, should we continue to to allow our commitment to God to give. Uh, should that commitment stay this month? Because we have a lot of bills. And they continue to give. Why? Why do they do that? They continue to give because they have this trust in the invisible God that they can't possibly see. But they see how is it that we see when we can't see? How is it that we know when we can't know? We begin to trust. Money is one of those things. Another one is suffering. Notice verse 32 and 33 of chapter 10. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Do you know what they're talking about? 
Uh, some of you may have uh, seen the movie several years ago, Gladiator. They're talking about the games. They're talking about Christians who have been uh, captured and placed into the games. You stood beside them. This is suffering that's taking place. Verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood by with those who were so treated. Sometimes it can be things like money. Sometimes it can be things like suffering. Uh, God, what's going to happen with this? They weren't quite sure. How, how was all this going to end? Was this going to end with me giving my life up? Was this going to end with the confiscation of my property? Was this going to end with some of my family members being killed? At the very end of chapter 11, we get a very similar kind of scene Verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Faith becomes real when we have to make the invisible practically visible in suffering. I have a good friend. He's a, a colleague of mine. He's a, a preacher and he's a teacher. And about a year ago, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed uh, that God would, would give direction. Have you been there? Uh, there was a big choice out in front of him. Uh, it was a job choice. Would he go this direction or would he go that direction? <coughs> And he just continued to pray, God, would you provide the kind of direction that I need to make a wise choice? And so he called me and he said, hey, would you join me in praying over this decision? And so I said, you know what, if we're going to pray seriously over this decision, let's pray about it, but let's also fast about it. And so for a period of time... Uh, Every so often, he and I were fasting and praying in the same days, in the same hours, and we'd call, and we'd talk uh, for a few minutes, and we would just pray God's wisdom uh, over this decision that was upcoming. And at the end of all of that, he said, you know what, I think God has, has, uh, has given me a sense of what it is, uh, of the direction that I need to take. And no sooner did he take that direction and choose that particular job option and things began to fall apart. The organization that he happened to be working with, uh, there were people who were now bringing lawsuits against this particular organization that he was now a part of and he's now being uh, implicated in some of these lawsuits and he's going, God, wait a minute, I prayed about this, I saw you out in this, I trusted in you in this. And the response is this to my friend. You can still trust me. I know the circumstances are different than what you want them to be. But you can still trust me. And so he does. He places his trust in what he can't see. Because he recognizes who it is. Just about three weeks ago, there was a pastor um, uh, down close to us. His name is Ben. Ben tragically woke up one morning and his wife laying next to him had died in the middle of the night. 
It wasn't anything that was expected. Everybody thought maybe she had a cold. They had three girls. And so Ben, in his grief, in his mourning, is trying to answer these questions that seem unanswerable. And yet, what he's saying is what's what's most important is not the circumstance that causes me pain. What's most important is that I place my trust in the God that I can't see. Faith, it seems, almost unfairly places us in in these situations of what we have to trust. We have to see what we can't see when it's hard to see it. We have to know what we can't possibly know when it's hard to know it. I was working through this text this week and I was asking myself, how in the world do we see what we can't see and know what we can't know? Do you guys feel that? How do I do this thing? What is it that anchored these people to allow them to be filled with joy uh, when their property was being confiscated? Uh, What is it that I can lean on uh, when I'm trying to be faithful to God and my finances and yet uh, the anxiety of the, the bills sitting on the kitchen table is overwhelming? What is it that anchors faith-filled people. And so there's this trilogy that I found. We're all about trilogies now, aren't we? Did you notice several times, it's almost this rhythm throughout chapter 11, by faith. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, all of these people. Uh, By faith, Rahab, right? Uh, Did you catch that throughout this passage? Uh, Faith. So there is faith, but there's also this. There's promise and there's reward. Uh, Look at a couple of these passages. At the end of chapter 10, uh, we have this remarkable, remarkable thing going on. In verse 35, uh, he says, don't throw away your boldness. Uh, Don't throw away this faith that continues to move forward. It will be richly rewarded. Uh, Look at verse 6 in chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. The trust, this faith, comes in direct connection with the promise and reward that God is in charge of. So even when things are going badly, even when circumstances and the outcome is uncertain, even when I'm enduring suffering, even when there's anxiety, what I'm looking at is not the current situation. I'm looking ahead to what God has promised and what He's rewarded. Now, now here, you've got to listen. God's credibility, God's credibility is worth believing even when life gets tough. God has that kind of credibility. If He didn't, no one believes in Him. Your life is worth waging all of it because God's credibility is that much. You don't keep your eye on the circumstance. You keep your eye on the promise that God has made. 
Uh, Throughout this passage, uh, you're going to see words like uh, they looked forward uh, to the city that God was building. They looked forward to the inheritance that He was going to bring. And so the very real part of this faith about being able to see what we can't see and know what we can't know is being able to say, "I, I trust in what's ahead because I trust in the credibility of the God that's behind it. It might look something like this. This is Iowa, right? Many years ago, I believe 1989, there was a movie that came out. It was called The Field of Dreams. Some of you have seen this movie. And there's a character in this movie who, who does something incredible. He, he, he goes to bed one night and he begins hearing voices. You remember what the voices said? If you build it... They will come. If you build it, they will come. And, and, he, and he says, his, he turns to his wife, her name is Annie, and he says, Annie, did you, did you hear that? No, I'll go back to sleep. And yet it won't let him go. It won't let him go. And it begins to become an irritant. And he says, I have to do something about what it is that I'm hearing. Right? He doesn't want to lose his boldness, and so he does the unthinkable thing, doesn't he? He plows under a whole bunch of his corn as people are watching, calling him a fool to his face. All sorts of things begin to unravel in his life, and he goes, is this really worth it? What about the promise? Who is it that's going to come? And I want you to see what that looks like. Ray, honey, um, Mom and everybody's leaving now. Okay. Well, it was, uh, you know, thanks for coming. Ray, think about what I said. You know, I'm just trying to help. I know. So I thought you two were going to watch some game. Because it's not really a game, it's more like a practice. See, there's only eight of them, so they can't play a real game. Eight of what? Them. Who them? Them, them. Well, you don't see them? Karen, honey? Uh, what are you watching? The baseball man. Baseball? Do you see the baseball man right now? Of course I do. But you, you really don't see him? I don't think it's very polite to try to make other people feel stupid. Mom, wh- wait a minute. Mom, wait a minute. D, D, wait, you don't see these people? It's not funny, Annie. <laughs> they couldn't see it. This is really interesting. It's going, Doc. Wouldn't work for me one day, okay, boy. Okay, Doc. 
When did these ball players get here? <laughs> there were two farmers. It was in the middle of a drought. That means no rain. They needed to plant, but all of the fields had been crusted over by the sun. Both of them received a special message. Rain is coming. The messenger made sure that they understood that the message was from God Himself. Rain is coming. One of the farmers went out and began cultivating his field. Which farmer are you? You see, you have already received this great message in Hebrews 11 that says you want to strengthen your journey. You have this. God has already sent you this special, special message and you have the opportunity to look on the field and say, there's players. Don't get rid of the field. You know what? is striking about faith-filled people. Faith-filled people wager their lives on God's promises and they frolic after His rewards because they understand God's credibility. They'll say, I'm all in. All of my chips are in because I recognize who it is that makes the promise to me. You know what's striking about this passage? Twice, twice in this passage, it says something shocking about God's promises. Shocking. Are you ready for this? Look in verse 13. All these people, everybody up to that point in this passage, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. That's one. Look at the very end of this passage. These were all commended for their faith. Every single person, all the people that were, had faces, all the people that are nameless in this passage, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. You know what that means? They were waiting. Even at the point of death, when circumstances didn't turn out exactly what what they thought would happen. They were still waiting for what God had promised, knowing that He would bring it. I want you to have this sense that you can wager your life on God's promise so that you can feel that way, so that you can know uh, that this is for everyday people like you and me. This is for people in Whiting, Iowa, who sit in the pews. Uh, this week, I just began to ask the question, hey, who at Whiting Christian Church demonstrates this kind of faith? And I want to show you several of them. Go ahead and run those slides. The first, anybody know Laura? Now, Laura has under, well, she lost her husband. 
She's still grieving. But when I have the chance to just sit down and, and talk with Laura in the back of the building, it's overwhelming that she trusts in the credibility of God and the promise that He has made. Her life is wagered all in because God's the one making the promise. Go ahead and hit the next slide. How many of you know Alan? I got to talk with Alan on the phone this week. I said, hey, Alan, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put your face uh, up on the overhead screen. He goes, you're going to do what? <laughs> he said, I, as you would expect Alan to say, well, I don't know that I'm, I'm that. But two years ago of Alan's own admission, as I talked to him on the phone, he goes, you know what? God has changed my life. And Alan here now serves and he allows, he allows his faith to do the talking and his trust in who he is to do the talking uh, as he begins to lead groups like CR here at the church. And those of you that know him know that he's constantly trying to say, I trust in the promise. My life is wagered all in, all in on what God is doing. His promises are credible. Next slide. You can't see it quite as well, but Rayleigh, the one on the right, there you go. Everybody see Rayleigh? Rayleigh's what, seventh grade? Sixth, seventh grade? And as I began to ask around, hey, who are the students in our church who are demonstrating a tremendous kind of faith? And, and Rayleigh's name rose to the surface. Oh, Rayleigh is in seventh grade, and yet uh, she is saying of her young life already, I am wagering my life all in on God's promises. So much so uh, that, that Rayleigh wants to invite people to come to church with her. And she's consistently trying to lead others and invite her friends uh, to something that they can't see. And she's probably to be commended for her faith. Because she's wagered her life in God's promise. Next slide. Second grade, Carter. Second grade. I was told that, that Carter is, is consistently trying to do devotions and read his Bible and encourage his, his family and his siblings to do the very same. Just constantly try and figure out what it is that God's doing in his life. Are, are you grasping this? It doesn't matter whether you're 108 or whether you're 8. You have an opportunity right where it is that you sit to say, my life is going to be wagered all in. And I'm going to try and step out and allow, my, allow God to show me what's out there so that I can see what I can't possibly see and know what I can't possibly know. Wager your life all in. Is Carter the last one? We might have one more. Jason. I talked to Jason this week. It was a great, a great conversation. Again, Jason was one of these guys. He's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. 
I said, we began talking and your name came to the surface. And you know why? Uh, Simply because he carries out every day of his life trying to say, you know what? My life is wagered all in on the promises and the credibility that God is giving to me. And I want to encourage others to do the same. Gang, it's time for you to do this. It's time for you to step out. It's time for you to say, I'm wagering in. You can do this. Trust. Take those steps that are necessary. This is for you. Uh, Some of you may have been prompted by God to do something, to do the uncertain. Maybe God is prompting you to lead in some way, and you have just kind of been sitting on that and saying, "Uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's me, I'm not sure if I'm qualified. Be certain that God is going to qualify you. Maybe, uh, maybe He's been prompting you to give in a way that you're not comfortable giving because it doesn't always equal uh, what, looks like, what things look like in your checkbook. And He's prompting you out and saying, trust in my promises. Maybe He's asking you simply to respond to His grace and saying, you know what, I love you, and I want you to come to know me, but you, you have to take that step and, and accept what it is that I'm offering to you. Maybe it's that he's asking you to reach out to a friend or a colleague at work, and, and what you desperately need to do is take that scary uh, ten steps across the office and say, you know, uh, I go to this really great church, and I just want you to be a part of What's going on there? Maybe it's that you need to forgive. Maybe it's that you need to protect. Maybe it's that you need to sacrifice something. Maybe it's that you just simply need to repent before God and turn back to Him. Maybe it's that you need to take a step of baptism and say, there, this, this relationship has, has come to a fever pitch and I need to, to take that dedication step. That step of commitment that says this is who I am going to be and my life is going to be wagered all in. It's time to do. It's time for us all to be able to see the players on the field and walk out and say, you know what? This is my life. I'm going to live every simple step, every simple decision along the way And I'm going to wager my life on God's promise. And I'm going to frolic toward his reward. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness to us. And I pray, Father, that we can hear this message in a way that that challenges us to take steps toward the uncertain so that faith in you is part of who we are. I thank you for the people in this room that are demonstrating that already. And I pray, Father God, that you would commend them for that. And Father, for those that all of us who need to take further steps, I pray that you would plant a rock in our shoe and help us to feel desperately uncomfortable until we lay our lives and trust in your lap. Help us to see what we can't see. Help us to know what we can't know. We love you. Amen.